Well, good morning, faith family. I want to welcome those that are gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service as well. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, so glad that you are here with us. If you got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 is going to be our passage this morning. We are uh, in a series now for the last uh, several weeks called All Sides of the Savior, uh, looking at some of the different events and episodes in the life of Jesus to understand his humanity even more. Uh, and Kind of the goal of this series, as we've been sharing with you, is that if, if we know the person of Jesus, that our relationship with Jesus will become more personal. That the more we know about Jesus for who he is, uh, the more personal our relationship with him becomes. To kind of give you a sense of the impact I'm hoping that this series is having, I want to share another email with you uh, that I received just a few days ago. Someone said, Pastor, we're fairly new at Brian. I must say that all sides of the Savior is blowing my mind. I grew up in a Christian home, and I've heard these stories many times, but I've never seen or experienced Jesus the way I have the last few weeks. I have a clearer picture of the real Jesus and the transformational, life-changing sides of him that I feel I've been missing for so long. It is rocking my world. I love that. Challenging my heart. And changing my home in the best way possible. Thank you for sharing what you may see as crumbs and allowing God to bring an abundance of loaves. That's what this is about. That's what this is all about. Amen. Sure. Absolutely. Understanding the real Jesus, the transformational, life-changing sides of him. And we've looked at his righteous anger. We've looked at his extravagant generosity. Uh, Today, I want us here in Matthew 4 to look at the fact that Jesus was authentically tempted. The truth of the matter is every single one of us deals with temptation. And so I want us to see in the humanity of Jesus how he deals with temptation, that we would be encouraged and strengthened by seeing this side of our Savior. Let's look at Matthew 4, beginning at verse 1. If you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Would you pray with me and for me as we ask God to teach us from his word? Let's pray. 
God, thank you for this opportunity that we have now to come to your word. Uh, Lord, I very much recognize it's the word that has power. It's your spirit working in this place today that has power. And so I pray, God, that you would just come and encourage us, uh, teach us, strengthen our faith and our walk with Jesus. And I pray it in his name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. His name was Greg Mortensen. Greg was an explorer, a philanthropist. He, he absolutely loved the outdoors. Um, there was one particular time when Greg traveled to Pakistan to climb the world's second tallest mountain, K2. After multiple attempts to try to get to the top of the mountain, Greg finally just admitted defeat, realized that he wasn't going to be able to do that, and so he turned and started to go back down. Somewhere along the way, he got lost, and he ended up in this kind of remote village. He had no idea where he was, but fortunately for him, though he was dehydrated and and, uh, struggling physically, that village took him in, cared for him, and gave him hospitality. As Greg looked around, he noticed that there wasn't a school in this village, And not having education created a lack of opportunity, and that really gripped his heart. And so he decided right then, right there, he was going to spend the rest of his life building schools to help people in poverty. He went on to found the Central Asia Institute, an institute that was dedicated to help educate young women in remote parts of the world, particularly places like Pakistan and Afghanistan. In fact, to do this, Greg at one point even got captured by the Taliban, though he would be later released. He wrote about all this in a book called Three Cups of Tea. It spent 220 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, Greg was loved by celebrities, loved by uh, uh people in in, uh, his community. He was even nominated for like a Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, he was receiving all this honor and all this glory until one day the story broke. The capture by the Taliban never happened. A lot of those schools that he said he built didn't even exist. The platform that he'd established did more for his wallet than it did for his people. Much of the story that he had told was made up. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting that Greg did not do any good at all. What I am saying is that most of his story was more fiction than it was fact. And when he finally came out, when he was finally interviewed to answer for this, what he said struck me. Why, why did you lie? Why did you fabricate this story? And Greg said this was the reason. Listen, quote, because of the pressure to be successful in the eyes of others. Because of the pressure to be successful in the eyes of others. Uh, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody, come here for just a moment. Greg did not have an honesty problem. He had an identity problem. The honesty issue was nothing more than the outworking of the identity issue. 
He had this pressure to be somebody, pressure to look a certain way in the eyes of other people. Listen, please, please, please listen to this this morning. Our identity shapes our activity. Or think of it this way on the screen. Uh, What you believe about your life influences the way you live your life. Behavior is often the outworking of what we perceive our identity to be. And in that sense, we're all like Greg. I don't mean that we're all as dishonest or deceptive as he was. What I am saying is that we're all searching for identity, every one of us. We want to be seen in a certain way by our children. We want to be seen in a certain light by our coworkers. We want to be seen in a certain way by the congregation or our closest friends. All of us are searching for identity. Who are we and how we define that then shapes the way in which we live. Now, why am I making this point? Listen close. It's why, Christian, when the tempter comes at you, He always goes after who you are. He always goes after your identity, and here's why. If he can reshape your identity, if he can make you think you're something other than you actually are, he can easily lead you astray. That is exactly what the tempter does to Jesus In Matthew chapter 4, look at it here in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God. Look at verse 6. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment and pick back up on the specific temptation that the tempter comes to Jesus with. But before we do that, I actually want to say something that's uh, about the significance of this event. Okay, now you theology nerds, you're going to love this section, okay? But I really want you to understand what this event means in the redemptive purposes of God and what Jesus is trying to do in his ministry. Listen, this episode, this event in the life of Jesus is not an accident. This isn't happening at random. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. This is a divine appointment. Hey, little side note here. Sometimes when you're in the will of God, you find yourself in a wilderness. Listen, get get this mindset out of your mind that if you're doing the will of God, it's always going to be a field of daisies. That's just not true. Amen? Amen. Jesus is right where the Father wants him to be, right in the middle of a wilderness. Now, why? Why is Jesus going to go through this temptation? This is so, so important. Please listen. Because Jesus is going to start the process of taking humanity back to Eden, back to relationship with God. Here's what you have to understand about this. Jesus, the greater Adam, the ultimate human, has to face off against the serpent of Genesis 3. 
the serpent is the one that came in and caused separation between Adam and Eve and God. And humanity fell. And we've been fallen ever since. So Jesus, watch, in order to bring humanity back, is going to square off with that serpent. Think of it this way. Notice it on the screen. The wilderness in Matthew 4 is a reenactment of the garden in Genesis 3. The same thing is happening here. And it's critical for us to understand what Jesus has come to do. I mean, just think of the parallels. Adam and Eve are tempted with food. Eat. Jesus here is tempted with what? Food. Turn these stones into bread. Adam and Eve are tempted with power. You know, if you would eat, you could be like God. Do you know all that could be yours? Jesus is tempted here with power. Look at all these kingdoms that you could have. Jump. Adam and Eve is tempted with false worship. Serpent, why don't you bow down and worship what I'm telling you? Why don't you listen to me rather than to God? Jesus is tempted with false worship. You know, if you would just bow down and worship me, look at everything that could be yours. It's the exact same temptation all over again. And it makes sense because Jesus here is starting his public ministry, a ministry that is all about reconciling God and humanity. So what better place to start than facing off with the one who caused the separation from the very beginning. This is so unbelievably significant in the ministry of Jesus. Now watch, as this battle now happens, how the tempter comes at him and how, as we see this, he often comes to us. The first is, as I mentioned earlier, he wants us to believe a false identity. To believe a false identity. Go back to verse 6 again. And he said to him, if you are the son of God. Now, why? Why would the tempter start there? Why would he go to that first? Well, because something very significant just happened a few verses earlier. Look back in chapter 3 and verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, watch, this is my beloved, say it, son, with whom I am well pleased. In other words, at Jesus' baptism, he is declared the son of God. That is who Jesus is. And so the serpent slides in and begins to question that identity. Because if he can control the identity, he can control your activity. If he can define who you are or cause you to question who you are, then he can lead you astray. He did the exact same thing with Adam and Eve. You you were created in God's image. But you know what? You could be so much better than that. You could be your own God. What's he doing? Trying to reshape identity. He comes along and says, listen, you don't need to settle for this. You could be so much more if you would just eat. Faith family, come in close this morning. The the demonic powers do not give a rip if you think too high of yourself or too low of yourself, as long as you don't see yourself for who you actually are in Christ. 
Because if the serpent can shape your identity or cause you to question your identity in Christ, he can easily lead you astray. And so what he'll do is he'll try to make you think that your life or your situation is special. You deserve this. You've earned this. You know, people owe you. Or he'll reshape it this way. He'll cause you to see yourself or your situation is hopeless. When I just can't help it. I'm just weak. I just couldn't say no. This is the popular one in our culture. It's just the way I am. Nonsense. Nonsense. All he's doing is trying to get you to buy in to a false identity. This is why weekly we talk about the gospel. You need to have a gospel identity. The gospel, if you're focused on that, will not let you say, I deserve this or I'm worthless. You can't say, I deserve this. Why? Because what you deserve is hell. But you can't say I'm worthless. Why? Because you're radically loved by God. You're a child of God. And so the gospel allows you to maintain the proper identity so that you can walk in obedience. There's an old, old movie. Uh, I, it, this thing used to freak me out. I, w- I, I still have nightmares just thinking about it sometimes. How many of y'all remember the old movie called The Elephant Man? Oh, yeah. Some of you remember that, right? If you're over the age of 150, right? Uh, I don't think it's that old. Uh, the Elephant Man, it's about a, a, a man that was disfigured because of a disease. Uh, so much so, his parents gave him away. They didn't want anything to do with him. And it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but there's one particular scene in the movie where he's at the table with some friends, and he's drinking tea, and he looks around at his friends, and this is what he says. He says, If only my mother could see me with friends, maybe she'd love me. I was such a disappointment to her. Faith, who's defining you? Is it the voice from heaven? Or the voice in the wilderness? Who are you letting define your identity? I'm telling you, you have an enemy that hates you so much. He is trying to reshape the way you think about your life so that he can lead you astray. That's exactly how he came after your Savior. But that's not all he did. He didn't just try to get Jesus and us to believe a false identity. He also wanted Jesus to act on counterfeit desires. Let me read just a few here. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. There's one. Now verse 5. The devil took him to a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest your uh, foot strike against a stone. Now verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, why those things? Why specifically those things? Why didn't he come to Jesus and like tempt him to murder somebody? 
you know, or punch a little old lady in the face or, you know, some just kind of random temptation. Why did he pick specifically these? Well, first of all, if you think back to Genesis, humanity was created to eat. Do you remember that? You can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. You were created to eat. Humanity was created for dominion. We'll give them dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Humanity was created to worship God as we were created in his image. In other words, here's the point, right? Everybody with me? Lakeville Sanctuary, are you with me? All of these desires were good and God-given. It's a good thing to eat. It's a good thing to have dominion. It's a good thing to worship God, amen? These are all good God-given desires. But what the enemy does, what the tempter does, is takes those good desires and twists it in such a way so that you get not from God, but from someone else. You get what God has promised in a way that God has not promised. It's why most of you here are not being tempted to sacrifice chickens in the name of the coconut gods or some kind of random thing like that. That's probably not going to lead most of you astray. Most of you. But, because I know a few of you and I'm concerned. But anyways. <laughs> but what it will do, what the tempter will do is take sex, a good God-given desire. Amen? Amen. I figured I'd get more of an amen than that, but I'll take it, okay? And he will twist that into a different way, or he'll take success, and he'll twist that to become your identity. In other words, the serpent has always been saying since the garden, eat. You were created to eat. You deserve food. Just don't do it for the glory of God. Do it to satisfy the appetite. Don't do it to the glory of God. Do it to fill the stomach. And the tempter knows right where to strike first. Jesus hasn't eaten 40 days. You think he's hungry? Do you think he wants bread? You better believe he wants to eat. And the tempter knows that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to go after that desire they want most and lead them away. James talks about this in James 1 verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. I, I understand this metaphor of being lured away because I love to fish. This is a perfect illustration for opening fishing weekend in the great state of Minnesota. Amen. Eight of you are really excited about that. <laughs> and I've given you this illustration before, but it's worth repeating because of what we're talking about in this text. Listen, I'm telling you, there's not a, there is not a fish in any lake in Minnesota that got up today and said, this is an awesome day to get hooked. <laughs> like, I just feel it. Yes, like I so want to be lunch tomorrow. Like that's not happening. Uh, not happening at all. And what good fishermen know, what they know to do is they know exactly what fish like to eat, right? And they know how to take something that's artificial and make it look very real. 
And they also know how to hide the hook where the fish can't see that there's a hook there. And so eventually the fish becomes lured away by this very natural desire. And when it bites, gets hooked and led away. That's exactly, that's exactly what the tempter is doing to you. He's going to take that natural desire you already have, twist it in such a way that's not of God so that you bite and he leads you away. That's what the serpent's been doing ever since the garden. He wants you to believe a false identity. Why? If he controls your identity, he controls your activity. He wants you to act on counterfeit desires, good God-given desires that he twists in ways that are not of God. And lastly, notice that the tempter comes at Jesus to focus on the now, not the later. Focus on now. Is this practical? Are y'all with me this morning? Focus on the now, not the later. Here's why I get this. Everything Jesus is tempted with here, he's going to get eventually. Jesus is going to eat. Jesus is going to get a name that's above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. In other words, he is going to get all the glory that gets offered to him. He's just not going to get it now. He's going to get it later. So what does the enemy try to do? What does the tempter try to do? Listen, come on. Come on, Jesus. Let's talk for just a minute. Why would you want to get all those things through a cross when you could have it now? I mean, do you know what a crucifixion's like? That sounds awful. Who, who would want to go through that? Why don't you just get all this glory and all this food and all these kingdoms now? And he masks over what will come later. He does the same thing in the garden. The, the tempter doesn't come to Adam and Eve and say, eat and you will die. It's a great plan. Try it. No, that's not tempting at all. But that's what happens. No, what he says is eat and you'll be like God. He's going to hide the consequences or the rewards and get you to focus on the now. Jesus, why don't you get all of this stuff early? And yet Jesus refuses to bow. Notice the significance of this how this functions in the ministry of Jesus, the sources of the temptation, how the tempter comes at Jesus. And then lastly, we have to look, as we look at this side of our Savior, the success of Jesus in the temptation. Look at what he does. Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Every time, every time the tempter comes at Jesus, Jesus refuses to give in. And this is really important. 
as it relates to the message of the gospel, right? Because the message of the gospel is not just that Jesus came, died, and rose again. It's that in between the he came, died, and rose again, he lived a perfect, sinless life so that he would be our perfect, spotless sacrifice. This is so unbelievably critical, and yet Jesus doesn't bow, he doesn't give in. But as we kind of meditate on this side of the Savior and him being authentically tempted, I'm not quite sure that we often fully understand what Jesus is going through. Because I think sometimes we think about Jesus almost like he's Superman. And it doesn't really matter how many bullets you shoot at him, they just kind of bounce off. You know what I mean? You know, Satan just keeps throwing these things at him. He's like, well, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. Bread? Who wants bread? You know, uh, just, just as though it's not doing anything to him at all. That is not how the Bible portrays what's happening to Jesus in this moment. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Listen to me this morning. Jesus was really, really tempted. Authentically tempted. This was a real crisis, real pressure a real situation that Jesus is in. And that always brings up this question. Now, hang with me, okay? We're, we're dealing with some big stuff this morning. Uh, could Jesus have sinned? Could he have given in? Could he have turned the stones into bread? Well, some people will say he could have, but he didn't. So he didn't sin, but they would say he could have in order for this to actually be a genuine temptation, Others will say, no, Jesus could not have sinned because he's God and God cannot sin. That's true. Jesus is God and I believe could not have sinned. But I think you're misunderstanding what's actually happening here with the humanity of Jesus and how we need to think about our Savior as he is being tempted. Now, hang with me, Lakeville Sanctuary, hang with me. I want to give you an illustration. It's not perfect, but it gives you an idea as to what's happening here as Jesus is tempted. I actually feel like you're with me, all right? Imagine a swimmer who sets out to break the world's record for the longest swim. As this swimmer trains, he does shorter swims someday, longer swims at other times, and begins to notice that in the longer swims, the, the, the muscle cramps, the, the, the body gets tired, and, and he does not want to drown in the race. And so he consults with his friends, and they decide that what they'll do is about 20 to 30 feet back, there'll be a boat, ensuring that he will not drown. On the day of the swim, hang with me, on the day of the swim, the swimmer dives in the water and starts to swim, gets tired, exhausted, there's pressure, really feels it in his body, but he breaks the record and is successful. Listen, two questions. Question one, could the swimmer have drowned? No. 
because the boat was always there to rescue him. There's no chance the swimmer drowns here. But why, this is so important, did the swimmer not drown? Because he swam all the way to the end. It is not true that the swimmer broke the record because of the boat. So while he could not drown because of the boat, he did not drown because he kept swimming. Point. Jesus could not have sinned. No chance because of his divinity. But that's not why he didn't sin. He didn't sin because in his humanity, he utilized all the resources given to him. And that's good news for human beings. And some of you are going to be home this afternoon. I'm still thinking about that one, right? But you have to understand, Jesus could not have sinned because of his divinity. But that's a different issue than why he didn't sin. He didn't sin because as the greater Adam, as the ultimate human, he did what Adam did not do. And that is he walked in complete faithfulness to God. Without that, he does not restore human beings back. He is fully human, fully man, who meditates on God's word. Look how many times, every time. It is written, it is written, it is written. He doesn't say, I'm God, that didn't hurt. I'm God, that didn't hurt. I'm God, that didn't hurt. No, as a human, he says, I know the word of God. And I will use the word of God in this temptation to walk in faithfulness to my father. He is depending upon the Spirit. Oh, what I want you to do, please, please today, would you think of this side of your Savior? Would you meditate on the fact that he is authentically tempted for you? Would you think about the pressure that he's under? Would you think about what his body is going through? Would you understand that this is real, this is not fake, and he swims all the way to the end so that you could get back to God? Think about that precious side of your Savior. What does this mean for us as human beings? What does this mean? Let me give you just a few, few words of application and we'll close. Number one, every time something significant happens, expect attack. Every time something significant happens, baptism, expect attack, wilderness. It happened in Genesis. You have the blessings that God gives, in comes the serpent. It happens with Israel. They are out of Egypt. They pass through the waters. Boom, wilderness, temptation. Every time something significant happens, expect attack. You are in a war, Christian. There are real powers and principalities that your eyes cannot even see. And they are after you. Expect attack. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 
Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Secondly, Christian, never minimize or fail to utilize the resources you have in Christ. Never minimize or fail to utilize the resources you have in Christ. Listen, that's why I'm making such a big deal. I know that swimmer story may be heavy for you to think about, but it's why I did it. It's because I want you to see that Jesus was successful in his temptation in his humanity, using all the resources given to him. Why? So that it would encourage you that in your humanity that you would walk in obedience. You have the scripture to guide you. You have Jesus, your high priest, to strengthen you. You have the spirit living inside you. You have a father who loves to provide for you. You have the church that's here to support you. You have prayer that is given to sustain you. Oh, you may be in the wilderness, but honey, you're not alone. You may be in the wilderness, but you're not alone. You have all of these resources that have been given to you to fight in the warfare that you're in every day. Thirdly, and this is so, so important. I've been trying to bring out in this series what it actually means to be human for obvious reasons. We are human. So what does it mean to be human? Notice this. Don't assume that to be human means to sin. You ever heard somebody say, well, I did that, but you know, I'm just human. I mean, after all, I'm just human. Nonsense. Jesus, the true human, did not sin. Adam, the, the human created in the beginning, Adam and Eve were created to walk in obedience to God. Here's one as if I haven't given you enough to think about today. Do you realize that in heaven, in heaven, in, in the final day, resurrection, restoration, guess what? You're going to be human Forever. And you will not be able to sin. So don't you tell me that to sin is to be human. Oh no, quite the contrary. To be human is to walk in obedience to God. Sin is subhuman. Humanity was created in the very beginning to walk with God in righteousness. Just as Jesus does in the wilderness. Lastly, this has been all about trying to experience Jesus in the everyday. We experience Jesus in the everyday of life when we walk in that obedience. When when you're at the computer screen, when you're driving on the the, uh, interstate and those things are fighting in your mind and uh, you're at home doing dishes or cleaning the house or whatever and this war is raging, you experience Jesus in the everyday when you walk in obedience, just as he did for you. Faith family, Greg Mortensen's not the first person to ever have a kingdom crumble because of a false identity. Oh, no, no, no. That reality goes all the way back to a garden when a smooth-talking serpent convinced humanity not to find their identity in God, but to find it somewhere else. 
And as a result, humanity was driven out of the garden and separated from God. And listen, we have been searching for an identity ever since. But I've got good news for you today. The good news is that God so loved the world, he sent his only son, not just into the world, but into a wilderness to be authentically tempted in our place. And he defeated the one who defeated us. And he is bringing us back to God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message today has been encouraging uh, for us. Heavy, a lot to think about, good. For we ought to renew our minds and think deeply about these things. I pray also that it's an encouragement practically. This is every day. Just as the tempter came at our Savior, he comes at all those who follow the Savior. And so I pray that this morning we are encouraged and challenged and equipped to walk in your way. Father, we thank you for this time of worship, this time in your word, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.